Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 82, 16 Candles Movie Review. <laughs> Chris McBrien, that's Yancey Eaton, and this is Pop Goes Your World. And if you are a Gen Xer like me, or just a fan of Gen X pop culture, uh, you're going to love the, this week's show because uh, we're talking. We're going all the way back to 1984, and we're going to be talking about the John Hughes classic comedy, Sixteen Candles. But before we do, Yancey Eaton, Chris. how are you, my friend? Uh, Chris, I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> I, we go through this every week where I know you're going to ask me how I'm doing and I'm supposed to have you know some banter to talk about at the top of the show. And I always come to the podcast woefully unprepared, <laughs> even though we post back like multiple days. Um, nothing has really been going on with me. I've just been the usual work grind and doing a ton of reading um, whenever I'm not at work and um, been pretty insular lately. Like the news, the news cycle the last couple of months has really kind of taken its toll on me. So like I've been a little bit more introverted. I've kind of I've stayed off of a uh, you know, social media a lot more than I normally do. And, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of like in a weird funk. Like I, I go through this, it's very cyclical with my emotions. And, um, I, I've kind of just felt myself kind of pulling back a little bit and just being a little bit more guarded uh, with what I say and how I say it and, and the types of people I've interact with. But, um, other than that though, what, you need to, you? We, we need to finish the show and you need to go out for the night. How about that? Um, you know what? It's funny you'd say that because I think I'm actually going out to the movies with my wife immediately after this recording, and she begged me, please don't talk for two and a half hours with Chris. Like, I <laughs> I need to see my husband. I need to go out and do stuff, so we're going to go catch a movie. Oh, so make it. What movie are you going to go see? Um, I don't know. Some weird some weird movie I've never heard of. Uh, my wife has a really, really good hit rate with these movies. It's always something that it's an independent movie, and it's in limited showings, and I've never heard of it, but we always see it, and it ends up being one of our favorite movies. Um, like, we went and saw... Uh, like Annihilation or Neon Demon or Ex Machina. These were all her movies that she put me on to. Um, so, something along that ilk, something that you'll undoubtedly hate in a year and a half whenever I make you do a movie review on it. <laughs> I have a movie that you guys should go see, especially for you. You would love this movie. It's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, have the you, new Fred Rogers one? Yeah. Like, I know you like Fred Rogers, and oh, I course, just, yeah. I think you would really like it. It's really, really good, dude. Um, but just two quick things I wanted to get to, if I may, before we get into uh, sure. talking about 16 Candles. Two things. One is relatively minor and something I, need, I could use a hand with. So I'm going to ask for you and for anyone listening to help me on this. And the other thing is absolutely devastating. Uh, first, the, the first thing that was the one that I need help with, and this is an ongoing struggle for me. I need to find a new show to watch. So I think I mentioned that, you know, my wife and I will, you know, we'll, pick a new show and then we'll watch it and we really enjoyed it um we watched breaking bad and stuff like that we enjoyed it and we started i started to watch homeland and i gave up on it after like two episodes of season two i was like i'm done with this show i just didn't like it sorry i'm gonna get hate mail i don't care and this other one is gonna surprise people because i did a lot of research and i, and I found like i tried to find out like what is like the greatest tv show ever and the, the one that keeps popping up everywhere i look is the wire and I just hear mm -hmm. like the wire, the wire, the wire. It's the greatest TV show of all time, blah, blah, blah. So I said to my wife, we got to watch the wire. And I didn't even make it through the first episode. Didn't like it. I don't really? know. I didn't. I, I just wasn't connected to it. I thought that I thought the framing, the direction was stilted. Um, this, it just seemed like it was like 
I don't know. It felt like a bunch of film students got together and made this thing and patched it together with a bunch of scenes that are edited. It weird. I don't know. Didn't like it. So <laughs> you know, I'm going to get eight mail. So I need a new show. So if anybody could suggest at C McBride on Twitter, let me know what's a show I should watch. So that's the first thing I need help for a show I need to watch. And the second thing is absolutely devastating news. As you may know, Yancey, um, I like Fonzie and I know it's shocking. Then mm-hmm. I like Fonzie. Um, and I was really excited about the upcoming Hamilton Comic-Con in Hamilton, Ontario, because there was going to be some really cool guests there. Like Carol Spinney was going to be there. He's He plays Oscar the Grouch in Big Bird on Sesame Street. So I was really, oh, I was very cool. really pumped him to meet him. And But most importantly, Fonzie himself, Henry Winkler, was going to be there. And I was all excited because not only was I going to be able to finally meet my idol, I was going to get a picture with him, you know, talk about happy days and night shift and all the stuff that I love about him. And then I just found out that he canceled his appearance. Yancey, I'm crushed, man. I'm crushed. And I was on Twitter and some people were speculating that maybe he canceled because, you know, of his big Emmy win win that he got, you know, and maybe he just got too big all of a sudden. But I, I just I don't think that's it, because everything I've heard about Henry Winkler is that he's a genuinely fantastic guy and very appreciative of his fans. But mm-hmm. I, I, for one, am very, very sad that I don't get to meet Fonzie. Did he give a reason for it? Was it just like um, scheduling conflicts or like his health or? Don't know. I just saw it on the website, said canceled. I was like, oh, so I was just crushed. But uh, anyway, that's what it is. Uh, how about if we get uh, get started on this this week's uh, movie? How's that? I'm down, man. Let's do it. All right, here we go. You kids today with your Zima soft drinks, Pac-Man video games, and your Dan Fogelberg records. We're the do-it-yourself generation. A lot of millennials look at me like I've got two heads. If you didn't like MASH... So here's where our generations are really, really different. They all watch the same five TV shows. We mock what yeah. we don't understand. It is very, very culturally relevant. It's, it's going to be here for a while. It's like a little secret handshake that we have with each other. Help me out, Chris. What am I trying to say? I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. You have like this weird, almost cultish obsession with... The Fonz. Okay, so uh, last week I had to nominate a film. I nominated 1984's 16 Candles. I want to start off, Yancey, by addressing the big issue here. And I think over the years, 16 Candles has been remembered very fondly by a lot of people as a sort of a teenage love story, you know, about a girl who's, whose family, you know, has forgotten her 16th birthday, you know, and so, and she has a crush on like the best looking and most popular boy in school. And, and as it turns out, he likes her too. So they end up celebrating her 16th birthday together, right? That's what people remember. Mm -hmm. However, I'm going to be the first to admit there's a lot going on in this movie that is very disturbing and it's reflective of a completely different time. So Yancey, I think the most important way to start off talking about this movie is addressing this, these issues just right up front. And especially from the standpoint of today and from the viewpoint of a millennial, that's the reason why I chose this movie. And that's why I think it's the best place to start. So Yancey, you have the floor, my friend. What is your take on this movie? Start with a general overview and then we'll get into some specifics. Okay. Um, as a general overview, I think um, we watched uh, Breakfast Club together. And if you recall, like I wasn't super into the movie, but I did think that it had some merit to it. And I thought that there was a lot of interesting things, especially like with the rapport amongst the characters, even though some of them were like in their mid 20s and stuff. I thought overall it was a pretty good movie. Um, I felt no attachment to this movie whatsoever. Um, I'm not trying to make it super, super political or sound like a social justice warrior, but just like you mentioned, it is such a problematic movie. And from the get go, I was so uncomfortable. All I kept thinking this entire movie was like, like, I have sisters, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, whenever they're, they refute, like, 
like just referring to women as like, you know, bags of meat or uh, I can't remember exactly how he worded it. But, you know, just the, the just the sexism and just the I, there's just so much of it that it, it takes away from the movie for me. Like I tried to have an open mind and sit through it and try to, um, you know, to kind of focus in on like the other aspects of the film. It, but by and large, I just felt like it was it was such an elephant in the room in almost every single scene that I kind of disengaged from the film. Um, it's this wasn't a movie that I enjoyed at all, Chris. And that's kind of what I figured that was going to be your take. And that's why I thought it was important yep. to talk about this movie. So let's let's do this, shall we? Let's talk about some of the problematic things right up front. And then we'll get into some of the things that I actually really liked about this movie. And because the thing that you got to understand from the perspective of a Gen Xer is that this movie holds a very special place in a lot of people's hearts because it's nostalgic, you know, but it's also a lot of people kind of watched it right around the time that they were 16. You know, and and right. so so there's a there's a lot of relatability to the movie that way, and it kind of spoke to you know a generation of people. This is kind of very it was very reflective of the times. You know, as as scary as that sounds, but so let's start off with some of the problematic things. So let's start first with with the underwear, okay? Because, I mean, really the underwear scene, I don't think it's that much of an issue. You know, at least not from an offensive perspective. But I think the fact, I honestly think. The, the fact that she gives Farmer Ted her underwear so that, you know, he can show all the geeks, you know, and make himself be cool. I think it shows how far she's willing to go to help him out, you know? And then mm-hmm. he was talking to Jake later because remember he says to him something like along the lines of he's like, not many girls in, in American society will, would give their underwear to help a, a geek like me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so as a result, he threatens Jake. He's like, if you do anything to her, you know, I, I, I will either get somebody or I will do it myself. I will kick your ass. Because she stood up for me. So that scene, I think, is it, there is some there's some heart, I guess, behind it. I know that sounds incredibly crazy, but there's <laughs> but it, what it was sounds, your take? It, uh, addressing that one particular thing, that sounds weird to me that this guy is uh, I, I can't remember his I can't remember the names of these characters. I watched this maybe once, but um, like he he is he's overtly like trying to like harass her and like he's all up in her face. He's grabbing her. He's touching her. He's making her extremely uncomfortable through the entire movie. Then he, he just sits down with her, at, you know, in the car in like the shop class scene, nothing has changed. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't gained her trust, anything like that. And then all of a sudden he just asks her for his underwear or for her underwear. She gives them to him. And then now all of a sudden it goes from him being like the creepy, um, you know, predatorial, uh, like overtly like pushy and, you know, just really disrespecting her personal space to, oh, she gave me underwear so I can look good in front of the boys. That's what a real girl looks like. She's cool. Now I want to protect her. Whenever literally 30 seconds ago, like it was 100% him like climbing on top of her twice and her having to like shove him off her. Like that sentiment, like I guess like, oh, okay. I guess she's like one of the cool guys. Like she's worth protecting because she, she did something for me that I wanted. She gave me her panties, but I don't see a scenario in real life where like that happens where it's like, oh, she's just a cool girl who like, like, let me have her panties so I can look cool in front of the guys. Like I like the, the writing in this, Chris, not to jump around too much, but mm-hmm. so much of this dialogue and so much of the scenarios that he puts in these. Um, I don't think from from a pure script writing standpoint that John Hughes is is even above average. I think the entire movie is so clunky like this. It's so painfully awkward and every interaction like if not for molly ringwald like i think all of his movies or at least the ones that she's in would be almost like laughing stocks like she is like the only redeeming quality in this movie for me where the movie gets really problematic is with drunk caroline okay so that's jake's girlfriend so you know i mean she's drunk and passed out and she basically gets handed from one guy to another and, and then they reference later to her and, and Farmer Ted having had sex. 
And like, that's, this is not good. <laughs> and, and they try, try to sugarcoat it by, by having her say, well, you know, she thinks that she liked it. Oh, it's just, it, it's actually worse than that because she says, I think I did. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's not. He, so basically he had sex with a girl that was passed out. Yeah. Even the, yeah. the fact that he doesn't remember it does not make, you know, and then there's that scene after the party when Jake and Ted are talking. And I fully admit, like, it's very, very, very uncomfortable because he says to Jake says to Ted, I've got her passed out in the bedroom right now. I could violate her 10 different ways and 10 different ways. And yep. what's, and what's Ted's line? What are you waiting for? Is what Ugh. it says. Like, it's like, Oh, like, so I, I get it. The movie is problematic. And I understand that even before that I can, I can give you a couple bullets just really quickly. Sure. Um, some, some of the things that like I took down, like at the very beginning of the movie, um, like whenever, uh, Who's who's the the dorky blonde guy? What's his name? Farmer Ted. In the movie, Anthony Michael Hall is Farmer Ted. Yeah. When he uh, okay. you're going to talk about on the bus, right? When he approaches her on the bus, yeah, he's, so he's she, an absolute jerk. Absolutely. Yeah. Jerk. So yeah. he's a jerk to her, and she literally says, "Yeah, you're a total fag." And and another part of the movie, like yep. uh, one of them yep. calls the other one a faggot. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's like, you know, am, oh, am I am I turning you one? Am I turning you one? Then like the whole we we have we we haven't even touched on like the the shower scene where the blonde girl is literally taking a shower. It shows mm-hmm. her topless, it shows her butt, everything like that. And like I'm sure that she wasn't actually a minor. Like I, I understand that that is an adult actress playing that part, but you're portraying her as like a child essentially. Like a she's six, a, a sixteen or seventeen year old girl in the shower. A sixteen year old girl, right? Yep. Or like whenever the grandparents come to the house and they're like, look, Fred, or you know, she's like, Fred, she's got her boobies. She's like, I better go get my magnifying glass. Oh, she's so perky. That part, I'm just like, yep. I'm cringing. I'm not laughing. I'm Chris. I'm yep. cringing. Yeah. Or like, of course, here comes the one, the one person of color in the film. It's Long Duck Dong. You know I mean? yep. The only joke is that he's Asian. That's the joke. Ha ha. Like calling him some Chinaman sleeping in your room. Like, literally, the the punchline is that he's not white. That's that is the joke. Like, or uh, when when they're at the dance, like, dude, she's a sophomore, a fully aged or fully aged sophomore meet. Like, every, every single punchline, I'm just like, whoa! Like, it, it gives me this feeling that Hughes kind of had like this. He had this idea of like what a girl was supposed to be, or or how a girl was supposed to fit in so, so, like society, and it almost feels like it was supposed to be like this subversive, um, just submissive. Uh, like they're they they're really just sex objects. Like they're there, and you know they need to look good and be quiet, and they're just kind of there for your enjoyment. And like I said, it's it's weird saying this, you know, like as a as a male kind of thing. But um, like all I kept thinking about during this movie was like my sisters. Um, I we all went to the same school. I had two sisters and a brother, a younger sister and an older sister, right? Our school had a middle school built into it because at the time our the area was getting smaller, whatever, right? So it was six through twelve. There was a year there where all four of us kids went to school together. We would, my sister would take us to school. We were in band together. We did after school stuff together. We were, we were together all the time. So like this is a really tight knit family, all four of us. And it, you know, we had cousins going there and stuff too. And it makes me like appalled just thinking of like. Like, I haven't really talked about this with my sisters, but, like, I'm sure they've experienced some of this. I know it was much worse back then, even, you know, back in the mid-80s. But, like, it it just – it always makes me harken back to, like, what it must be like to be a woman, even today, as, you know, things have gotten better. But, like, imagine, like, what – Chris, you you, you have siblings. You have a sister, right? Or two sisters? Two sisters, yep. Yeah, like, imagine what they went through. Like, I imagine what my mom must have, like, gone through and, like, how everybody just thought it was okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you're almost you're, – you're a problem causer if you speak up. If you if you basically out somebody, you're just a bitch. You know what I mean? Like, you're – like, there's all these words for women like that who, who were assertive and defended themselves and expected people to, like 
I don't know, like I'm rambling right now, but like, but like the thing said, is, this, this the, whole movie was just like the perfect timing with like the whole news cycle and everything yep. that it just it just made me mad. You know and, I mean? and and the thing is, though, the, the, the thing that should really come to the forefront is what's changed. What's right. what's changed? Look, what's right. go- you just mentioned the news cycle. Look what's going on in the news cycle currently. And, and for anybody that listens to this, you know, in the future, we're recording this in October of 2018. Okay, so with what's going on with the Supreme Court, you know, in the United States, like what's changed? What's changed? 36 years right. later, 40 years, nothing. In fact, maybe even I worse, you know. Our, our intention isn't to be like a, an overtly political no. podcast at all. And I'm not trying to say – I'm not I'm not saying that I have all the answers and that I know everything. But I just – I do find it discouraging that uh, aside from the whole Supreme Court thing, just women in general, right, how how – um, how skeptical we are of any woman that comes forward with something like that. Um, she's basically lambasted by the public and she's, she's instantly like her, her credibility is attacked. If she is not like an absolute saint of a, of a woman, if she partakes in the same activities as men, if she has beers, if she goes out with her friends, if she wears a skirt, there's like this whole, she's asking for it type justification for things that women don't really answer for stuff like that. Like I found out, you know, members of my family, not necessarily my immediate family, but I've I've learned about other things where there's there's people in my family that suffered from sexual assault and they never said anything about it ever. And I was like, why didn't you say something about it? This is why you don't say anything about it. This is why you don't say anything about it, because your name gets dragged through yeah. the mud. You know what I mean? And it's just I don't know. Like the whole thing is so sad. Like I, I really I really I want you to know, Chris, I'm not trying to like attack the movie or the recommendation or anything. And like, mm-hmm. I do think that this was intentional on your part. And I actually kind of appreciate yep. that. Like you chose that's why, this. That's why I chose this movie. Yeah. Cause, Cause I it, knew. it does create good dialogue. And if like, you remember when I, when I, when I mentioned this movie, we had Caven on the show and he's like, Yancey, be prepared. This movie is going to yeah. be difficult. And I'm yeah. like, yes, it will be. <laughs> I mean, more so than, than animal house. Yep. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember any of all, all the other ones that we've watched, but um, the whole time, man, I just, Man, like I, I keep hearing the the expression, oh, times were different back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've mentioned mm-hmm. that before. Like, you know, and I, I fully do agree with that. But like, like, like you said, this was in 1984 that this movie took place or that it was shot. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly, but say mid 80s, right? Yep, it was released it's in 1984. It's now 2018. So we're basically talking about, um, you know, <laughs> less than 50 years later. You know what I mean? Like this is this is not a lot of time in like the span of human history, right? I want to say, like you said, like, look how different things are now. Like, this movie would never be made. I know that's probably a question you were going to ask me. This movie would not be made in this context um, and in such a derogatory, demeaning way towards women now. It would not have been made and probably nor should it, right? Um, but, like, where I, the one silver lining that I tried to find in this movie and that I'm trying to hold on to is, okay, like, think about, think about, like, the civil rights movement back in the 50s and 60s, right? Think about all these people that were like out in the streets protesting, marching. Think about the the um, the counter protests to these, right? People who wanted to keep segregation, people who, um, you know, just really, really racist people who did not think highly of people of color at all. You see these old pictures in like old Time magazine or you know in old encyclopedias. You can go on, you know, Wikipedia, anything like that. Just go look at these old pictures of these people protesting equal rights and civil rights, and think about how stupid those people look now, right? How dumb those people look, how just completely insensitive and they look like dinosaurs. They look like people who are dealing such I, a limited amount of information. Exactly. But, and not and not to turn this into a political podcast, because that's not the idea, although you and I are both very, very politically charged human mm-hmm. beings. But it's still happening, Yancey. It's still happening. What happened in Charlottesville? Right. The girl was killed. So, I mean, really, like, you know, anyway, you know, not to take know, to, things completely political. To wrap political. up the point, though, yeah. it, it is still happening. But what I'm saying is in 1950, like that was the norm. Okay. It, every every major improvement 
has to be incremental, right? Like things don't change overnight. There's very few exceptions where society just changes within a few years. Like the internet being like the lightning rod of like the last thousand years of human civilization. But it takes time. And like, I'm, I, I want to believe that, you know, I have little nieces and nephews. I want to believe that by the time they're 16, 17, things will be better. They're not going to be worse. They, they may only be incrementally better. They're still going to be like this, this culture of, you know, boys will be boys and protect, protect the boys and, and shame the girls kind of thing. But, um, I, I hope that it just goes a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And just by talking about it, like it's going to be a slow, uh, you know, degradation of those old standards and then kind of like prop propping up like this new way of thinking. And I don't know, like I, I don't even know how to wrap a bow in this, Chris. So what else you got? The other thing that I would say, just, just to put the last the nail in the coffin on that part of the conversation is, is uh, one thing I will, I will, I could say for certain is in 1984, if a woman had come forward, you know, and, and said that this had happened, I'll tell you one thing that I know for certain would not have happened in 1984. The f- president of the United States wouldn't have mocked her. You know, what's changed? Like, you right. know, it's gotten worse, if, if anything. And that's horrific, you know, to even think. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. It's a difficult movie to talk about. And and the thing <laughs> is, it is. <laughs> it is. And, and But the, here's the thing that I want you to just keep in context, though, that we need to keep in context for this film. The idea behind the film, you mentioned the script. The idea behind the script, the idea behind the film is that this girl is having the worst day of her entire life. That involves her parents and everyone else forgetting about her birthday that that, that involves you know uh, sexual harassment going on that involves you know somebody that's coming staying at her house and having to go to the dance with her she doesn't want all these things right. and and the fact is that there's male characters in there that are reinforcing that to make it the worst day not all men thought like that not all men acted like that in 1984 i was alive in 1984 i certainly didn't act like that but it was that's true that is know, a good point actually it's that just is, that they're built yes, into the script yeah. you got to realize that's what the script is and it's just really really you know, crappy male characters to reinforce that the bad things that are happening to her. So it's not, don't think of 16 Candles as reflective of 1984. Everyone behaved like that. They didn't. They didn't. Okay. Right. It's it's part of the script. So just try and think of it that way, just to defend 1984 one more time mm-hmm. for myself. Um, you mentioned uh, Long Duck Dong. Very, very problematic as well. <laughs> Getty Watanabe, he took a lot of flack for this movie. And he is basically like, you know, he's a walking stereotype. Just like you said, the punchline is that, that he's Asian, Asian, right? And mm. the funny, like one of the most stereotypical things about the role wasn't even in the script. And that's the gong that goes off every time he basically comes on the screen. They added the gong in in post and he didn't even know about it until he saw the finished movie. And like you said, there's like the scene when the grandpa calls the cops and because Dong is missing and he describes him like it's just so politically incorrect. Like he's he's describing him to the police. He's got tan pants and he's got like a red argyle sweater. No, he's not retarded. Like just so incredibly offensive. And then when they're at the table and grandma finds out that Sam is going to go to the dance and she's like, oh, I have an idea. Dong, would you like to go to the dance with Sam? And Sam's reaction, oh my God, it's like, <laughs> so, so like, and like you said, there's the scene when uh, they pull up and he's like laying there, passed out on the front lawn and the guy says, hey, Howard, there's your Chinaman. Like, just so offensive. But all that being said, Getty Watanabe is also very, very funny. And he did a lot of things off camera and stuff to, to crack up the other, the other actors and stuff. And there are parts in the movie, like if you think back, that are that are pretty funny. Like I, when he hooks up with that kind of Amazon girl and they hit it off because they're both misfits, right? And yep. when they're at that party upstairs on the stationary bike, 
I, I, every time I see that scene, I laugh. I, I'm just thinking about it. It's so funny. And I, I, w- I will say really quickly, like yeah. like you said, like he started out as like the stereotype and like the token person of color, and like he was the punchline just by existing and walking into a room. Like you said, literally as he walks into a room, you hear like a gong hit. But I did like that his character kind of took a turn where like he became interesting and he kind of became a little bit of a badass. Like yeah, you know, like he gets the girl, like he's he's in control. She has agency. He has agency. They're both happy like i enjoyed that part like i like the fact that the 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 character like trope kind of shifted a little bit and he was made to be a more interesting character so lots of difficult things about this film you know lots of supercharged stuff but there's some things that i really liked about it too i'd like to get your take on it so john hughes obviously very very popular filmmaker in the 80s right but his movies are very indicative of the times like they spoke to a, a generation of teens right I still believe that John Hughes movies, including this one, and, you know, we can debate this or not. I still believe that his films at their core actually have a big heart. And, you know, so in regard to your generation, Yancey, one of the things I really like about Judd Apatow and his films, they're raunchy, they're offensive, they're totally on PC, but also they have a huge heart. They really, really do have a huge heart at the center of them. And that reminds me of John Hughes' style of filmmaking it always did i love the fact that his central protagonist is a female not very common for the time back then i guess in a lot of ways it still isn't but um you know the central theme about you know this girl who's about to celebrate her 16th birthday which is like the biggest birthday of all for a teenage girl right the fact that everyone forgets the things she goes through like and the other thing too is like if you think about the end of the movie from an 80s perspective yancy i know that's hard for you to do but from an from an 80s pop culture perspective the end of the movie is absolutely iconic like the song by the Thompson twins, her yep. and Jake sitting on top of the glass table with the birthday cake. It's just such an iconic eighties thing, you know, that it it's kind of burned into a lot of people's minds. And I love that scene, Chris. I actually yeah. thought that it was really well done and it's super minimal. There's not a ton of talking and dialogue and it's, it doesn't show them like making out, like spending all this time afterwards. I just wish that, uh, the movie would have involved the two of them actually together a little bit more to where like that meant more to me. You know what I mean? There wasn't so much buildup to where like I saw like this obvious chemistry between the two of them. And all of a sudden it's just like, oh, well, at the end of it, it all turns out because she gets like a cake with like the, the man of her dreams kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like I didn't I didn't care as much as I felt I should have, you know, like that was like the resolution to the entire movie, even though the scene was like really, really nice and like super simple and well done. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Another thing I kind of like is how the nerd and the cool guy actually get along. And that never, ever happens in 80s movies like, you know, Farmer Ted, you know, um, he just keeps up that nerd routine right through at the scene. Like when him and Jake are at Jake's house, you know, after the party, like remember he, he they're sitting there talking and he like, he grabs a napkin for his wine glass, even though the house is basically, you know, demolished like he, and, but then, like I said, as I mentioned earlier, he, he actually stands up to Jake when, and he threatens him. Don't, don't break her heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jake, as just as a side note, um, is played by Michael Shuffling. It was his first movie and he didn't really go on to do much else. But Yancey, I don't know if you remember when we had Daniel uh, Salinger on the show on the podcast here. And remember we were mm-hmm. talking about our childhood celebrity crushes and anyone listening who hasn't heard it. If you go back and listen to, to episode 47 of the podcast, Yancey, myself and Danielle, we broke down our top five childhood celebrity crushes and Jake Ryan was on Danielle's list. And <laughs> if you remember that, and he was on a lot of girls lists from the eighties, no doubt, I'm sure, you know, and it was funny. He was very, he was like very shy when, when he did the audition and during shooting, he, he didn't even kiss Molly Ringwald. During the audition for the part, even though the audition for the part was the final scene, the kissing scene at the end. 
Um, but Yancey, I don't know if you remember this. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. The one actor who did kiss Molly Ringwald in the audition was Viggo Mortensen. They brought him in and he almost got really? the role. He almost got the role of Jake. <laughs> but I, I think John Hughes was a little protective of Ringwald and was worried about Mortensen being around her. So he gave the part to Shuffling, the shy guy instead, you know, um, Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall are both, they were both actually 16 when they shot this movie. So it kind of gave it that feeling that they were real teens. Unlike something like, uh, you mentioned The Breakfast Club, uh, Emilio Estevez, when he shot that, he was like in his 30s, you know? So so there's there's some good things. You mentioned Anthony Michael Hall. I want to just touch base on him for a minute because I thought he was he was actually pretty good in this. And and he, I really liked him in the in The Breakfast Club. And I remember after he did those two movies, he tried to kind of branch out and like break away from the nerdy kind of character. And it just didn't work. He was right. in a movie called Johnny B. Good, where he played like a football player. It just didn't work. And I remember he played the villain in Edward Scissorhands. Just didn't work. And I remember he was in a TV version of The Dead Zone. Same thing. It just it just didn't work. Uh, he's basically typecast because he was just so good. To, to, so his, his character, Farmer Ted, I don't really think it is ever explained why he's called Farmer Ted. I think the story behind it is that he's his name is Ted Farmer. And, and, you know, so maybe in school, you know how they call people's names, you know, they'll say Smith, John, right. Farmer, Ted. I think that's kind of where the idea where he got his name. But I like how he describes himself kind of as the king of the dipshits. You know, I don't, <laughs> as, I don't think his performance should be overlooked. And here's why. He's not just a, like a dork, because as we talked about before, at times he's an absolute total jerk. You know, he's completely unlikable, especially at the very beginning of the movie, right? Total jerk when he confronts her on the bus. When he's coming on to her at the dance, it's creepy. You know, he's obnoxious. But for the balance of the movie, like, I, I think he kind of strikes like a, a, a kind of a, a high wire balancing act between the two, between that kind of likable geek and sort of that, you know, obnoxious jerk. And I think that makes his performance memorable for me. I don't know. Am I just I, going too far with it? Or what do you think? No, I don't think so. I don't think... You, you know what I sometimes I try to like figure out like you ever watch a really bad movie Chris where everybody knows that the movie's bad but there's like one or two performances in it where like that actor or actress like really showed up and actually did a really great job and it kind of gets lost in the fact that they're just in such a bad movie you oh yeah oh yeah sure something like that yeah like with this just because like I, I had such a bad like viewing experience with this like I still thought that Molly Ringwald was really good um I didn't really pay too much attention to like his performance because like I was so I was so distracted by the script, like the one scene where like um, the blonde girl like basically like falls into like his lap while he's driving the car and like he stops and like basically like looks at the camera and says yeah. like, I like where this is going or like something. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, my God, like I'm just I'm so checked out. Like I like he maybe he delivered that line amazing, but just because like what he was given to work with, I felt was so bad. That by default, like I just kind of gloss over his entire performance. Obviously, you recognize John and Joan Cusack were in the movie too. I did, yes. yeah, it was pretty one of the cool. Nerds, yeah. I love when uh, when Ted stops when he's got uh, Caroline with her with him in the car, and he stops to get a picture, and he gets his buddies, you know, because this was before the time of cell phones, Yancey. You know, so if they had to go to the guy's house and get his camera, remember? Like, you guys now, you kids now would have it up on Snapchat in a minute, wouldn't you? But uh, but he goes there, and I like how John, John Cusack comes out, and he's like, oh, you know what would capture the moment? Black and white would be so good. Yeah, and they're like, ah, just stop. Just get the camera. And Joan Cusack, I don't even think she has a single line in the movie, but she still comes away, leaving a real memorable impression, I think, like, 
remember like wearing the neck brace and when she's dancing and when she's trying to drink from the water fountain. The water fountain. And that that little, was that, funny. The, yeah, the little mini dress <laughs> she has on the front of her shirt, she uses it to wipe her mouth. She lifts up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and that, that wasn't even her first movie because she'd done My Bodyguard back in 1980. It, I think it was, I don't know if it was John's first movie or he kind of had a walk-on part in class, I think, before. But, you know, those guys were good. And one other performance that I just want to mention before we move on that I really liked was Paul Dooley. And that's the that's her dad. He is. He was such a prolific character actor for a while there, Yancey. Like, um, I don't. I guess he's never really stopped working for that matter. But back in the eighties, he did some pretty memorable stuff there for a while. Like he was in Popeye and Strange Brew, and I remember I really liked him in Going Berserk. But he did a, a movie called Breaking Away, and it was one of his best. He he basically played um, Dennis Christopher's dad. And he was so good, and 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 it kind of cemented him as kind of the perfect movie dad, you know. And I really think it got reinforced in this movie. One of the best scenes in the movie to me is when he is tucking her into bed when she's sleeping on the couch and they talk about how the family forgot her birthday and the way he talks about his obnoxious son. And he actually talks to her about the boy that she likes. And it's a really, really strong scene for me. Like, I I think it, I think her line is something like she says, it's weird to be sitting here in the dark talking you know, with your dad about your love life. And I like just how he listens. He just sits there and listens, you know, and he says, he goes, it's supposed to hurt. Honey, that's why they call they call them crushes. Otherwise, they'd be called something else. And I just there's something <laughs> about that scene I just really really like. And the script originally called for him to ask what happened to her underwear, and then that's when she realized, oh my god, I never got my underwear back. But they're getting ready to shoot it, and Dooley basically said to uh, to to uh, John Hughes, he's like, that's just creepy. A dad shouldn't be saying that in that scene. It's not right. So they ended up not shooting it with that line. I I, I like that scene a lot. That scene really really works well. I think one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. What do you think? Um, that, I, I or think, was there any other scenes in the movie that you did like? Well, yeah. Going back to the dad, like at the beginning of the movie, like uh, he's like the eye roll, like idiot dad, like whatever, like, hey, pickled someone your own size. I'm like, oh, my God, like this is so, so corny. But then at the end of the movie, like out of nowhere, like he's suddenly like this, like really like thoughtful, like emotionally invested in his kids type dad. And I was like, Oh, that's actually really cool. And that was really super believable. And like, even like when he says like, um, you know, like, will you just like, tell me that like, like you feel better so that I could go to sleep kind of thing. Like I felt like, Hey, that's like one of the, like the probably one of the better, like back mm-hmm. and forth of the entire movie. Like yes. I thought that was like pretty awesome. Actually. Like I can imagine that being a real conversation between like a dad and his 16 year old girl. You know what I mean? Um, as far as favorite scenes, that is really tough, Chris. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, the ending, you know, not to be too, you know, picking easy fruit or whatever, but the ending I thought was really, really beautiful. It was super easy. It was super just minimal and there wasn't a ton of dialogue, but it was just perfect. Um, other than that, I mean, uh, so, maybe yeah. maybe the scene whenever um, uh, the the heartthrob character keeps calling her room and the grandparents are <laughs> the sleeping grandparents in her bed. Are, yeah, answering. That was pretty funny. Um, I mean, I couldn't go like much longer with with those particular grandparents because they are a little jarring. But I know that's obviously by design. But I just thought it was funny when he's like, "Well, they want." She said something like, "They want." What did she say? They want sex or something? Yeah, like, yeah, I, I'm yeah. not sure what it was, but um, I thought that was kind of funny. But other than that, though, not not a, not too many scenes actually really stuck out to me. I I like the party scene, like I mentioned, when they're on the bike and the dumbbell falls through the floor. That's pretty good. And then later on, when. The guy, uh, Jake, moves, like, the stuff off the table, and Farmer Ted is, like, under the glass table, like, gasping for air. And that scene where Caroline gets her hair stuck in the door, a very memorable scene, and they have to cut it out with the scissors. 
You remember that? And mm-hmm. and one of the cool things about that was is that she was actually wearing a wig. She wore a wig for the whole movie because she's actually a redhead. And John Hughes didn't want another redhead in the movie. Molly Ringwald was a redhead, right? So he made her wear a blonde wig for that. So it was just kind of cool. I, I thought the party scene was pretty good. And But I think my, yeah, my favorite scene was probably uh, with the dad. Paul Dooley was great. He's very memorable. We talk about um, Gen X movies a lot in terms of their quotability. Um, and this one certainly has a lot of quotes. Any any lines or quotes that stood out to you? You probably Was there any when um, you're watching it going, oh my God, I've heard that before. Or that's where this is from or, or anything that just kind of stuck out? No, I don't think so, Chris. What are some of yours? Uh, I liked, uh, I, I, again, I I like some of the stuff that's kind of like how, coming from a big heart. Like I like when Samantha says, you know, the dong has been here for, for five hours and he's got somebody. I live here my whole life and I'm, you know, I think she's just like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a disease or something. I like that. Um, Donger had a couple of funny lines. Like when he says, no more Yankee by Wanky. The Donger need food. I don't know that would always kind of What? <laughs> you remember when, when he, 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 he's drunk and he's passed out on the floor, yeah, on the ground. Andrew, right? And they go to wake him up and he still thinks he's with that Amazon girl who's just all over him. And he's like, no, no more Yankee, my, my Wanky. The Donger need food. And so like, I don't know, that stuck out to me. It's kind of funny. And then I'll just, even when he's just mentioning his name. Because he's like, what's your name? Dong. And then she says, what's your what's your first name? Long. <laughs> what's your middle name? Duck. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I like Getty Watanabe. He's good. It was kind of weird how, like, during multiple parts of the, the movie, some people would call him Long. Some people would call him Duck. Yeah. Like, the, gran- the one grandfather would call him Dong. Then he would call him Duck in the next sentence. Like, I, it was almost like they didn't realize, like, which name was the first name you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and he's kind of he's kind of sympathetic in some ways too because you realize at the beginning of the movie too the grandparents are totally taking advantage of him they make him do like all the laundry and all this and this all kind of comes out so i don't know pretty good uh so overall um you know not an enjoyable film to watch not an easy film to watch because of all the uh the things that are going on it that are you know not acceptable by today's standards even though we you know had a heated argument about that um <laughs> but uh any, I will. I will say this takeaways? too. Though, yep. Yeah. I will say this too. Like as as a standalone film, if you had taken out all the all the problematic stuff that I addressed earlier in the show, I feel like even if you had taken that out, I don't think that this is a particularly strong movie. Um, I don't think the scenes are shot up super well. Um, there's kind of like a weird second act that just like goes on forever and like nothing. Like there's nothing really driving like the action in in the movie. You know what I mean? And like I said, like the two most pivotal pivotal characters, like the you know, Molly Ringwald's character and, and the the Jake character, I feel like they don't spend nearly enough time with each other. Like it, it doesn't feel real that like he that he suddenly starts liking her, you know, just because like he finds out that she likes him, like nothing. No, but but he did throughout the movie. Remember the way he looks at her in class, the way he talks to it. his buddies about like like so he, they each kind of quietly you know, like the other person, I guess, is the idea. And I mean, it was it was John Hughes' first movie too. So I mean, he was you know a novice. You know, I guess. Oh, at I didn't making know. This yep, this is his first okay. one. Um, he made this before the Breakfast Club. It came out the next year. So yeah, I mean, he was you know, obviously new to making movies. So yeah, I can understand where it's kind of choppy. The thing is, it just it, it, it if you grew up at that time and watched that movie, it it does kind of have a place. I still think at its heart, when you strip away all the, the, the negative stuff in it, there there is a big heart in that movie somewhere. I I, I have always seen it. Um, 
Would but, you say that that's your favorite aspect of the film? Just the fact that like there is kind of like this. Yeah, I think so. Like this real this realness to it. Or I think it's one of those things that for whatever reason, it's one of those kind of movies. We talked about this on the podcast before where you get quote unquote kind of like chick flicks or movies that girls like like, you know, and this is hard to believe. But I mean, a lot of girls liked this movie at the time, too, believe it or not, because Molly Ringwald and stuff like that. But uh, I liked it as well. You know, as a guy, I thought it was. You know, I, I thought it was enjoyable. And I think that's the thing I enjoyed the most was at, at its heart, at the center of the film, there is a heart. There is a heart there. And and I think John Hughes was was good at doing that. I haven't seen anyone else be able to do it until Judd Apatow, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but so overall, it's 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 an important movie because it was a very popular film. Um, it still holds a very special place in a lot of Gen Xers heart. For for a reason. Well, there's a reason why. And again, I think you guys got to put it all back in perspective. This movie is about the worst day in her life. And they have to use characters to reinforce that throughout the film. So it's not so much indicative of the times as it's indicative of just a crappy day, you know, and not and not even indicative of the times also. But like, I, I guess you saying that kind of like clarifies it for me, too. It's like it's not even like Hughes's endorsement of it. It's it's him telling a story. You know what I mean? So like, it's not saying that like, again, I still think like, you know, having a nude girl showering in a high school gym is problematic and always will be regardless of how you want to spin it. That is a separate issue. But all the other stuff, like you said, if that is that is a worst case scenario of someone like then I guess maybe it would make sense that you would kind of include that in the film. So okay. Okay. I kind of so, like how you speak to that. So. Yeah. So so that's what it is. Anyway, uh, we're not going to do any trivia on this movie tonight. You know, we're just going to talk about this. We, we did. Do you have a movie that you wanted to um, to nominate for next week and then uh, then we'll get out? So the movie we're going to watch the next week, it's actually a newer movie. It stars Matt Damon. It's from 2015, and it's one on, It's from one of my favorite science e-fiction books of all time, and it is The Martian, um, based off the book by Andy Weir. It is amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, Chris, but um, I took my wife to see it in theaters. I own the movie. I own the book. It's it's one of the most realistic science fiction movies I've seen of all time, and uh, to me, it became like an instant classic. So The Martian from 2015. Now, I thought we had a working agreement here on a previous show that you you were going to try and veer off from doing dystopian uh, movies or movies set in space. Apparently, we've thrown that right out the it's window. Not, it's not dystopian. It's called it's The this- Martian. It doesn't take place in <laughs> in, in Detroit, you know. <laughs> it's a very humanistic movie. It really is, though. It really is like a very humanistic movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about spirit. It's about heart. You lo- It's about all the things you love so all much, the things- But is Paul Dooley in it as his father because if not then I'm not going to like it there's no twice about it (laughs) I will watch the movie we will come back on the next show and we will discuss the 2015 film The Martian with Matt Damon I have not seen the film so you you will educate me on it and we'll see how much I enjoy that Uh, you know if you want to reach out to us on Twitter you can find us at C. McBrien or at Yance Eaton or just head over to the website popgojaworld.com you'll find all of our information there if you do listen to the show on iTunes you know take a minute and and post a review for us write down uh, you know write a review for for the show if you like it or if you don't you know shoot us an email and let us know why <laughs> and we'll get back to you we always do okay on behalf of Yancey this is Chris McBrien saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World the pop culture podcast for the generations thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast continue the conversation on Twitter at C McBrien or at Yancey Eaton please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 